0: Hello, everybody. You know what today is? Today, just to be quite sure, today is Wednesday, December thirty-first. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the weekly promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Today on the docket really needs very little introduction. John Jones versus Daniel Cormier is just days away now. We'll be talking about that. In addition, uh, you're, you've got um, the rest of UFC One eighty-two. You've got other issues involving Scott Coker and and maybe reaching out to Fedor and maybe reaching out to Brock Lesnar. You have some updates in the development of the UFC fighter lawsuit, at least from the UFC side. You have the entire 2014 in review and 2015, excuse me, in anticipation. We'll get to any and all of those things in the next hour and a half or so. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com in the comments section. You may also tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. You can email me at luke.thomas at SBNation.com. And last but certainly not least, you know that the comments that are green get the most priority. Today's uh, beverages of choice are bad coffee and water in a plastic bottle. So there you go. All right. With that out of the way, uh, thank you for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Let's get this thing going. Uh, by the way, I have a poll up in the post. Who will win the UFC 182 main event? Let's see what the results are so far. Wow, down to the wire. So there's 334 votes. So far, as the, as I read this to you live, uh, 44% have voted for John Jones, 45% for Daniel Cormier, and a healthy 12% saying don't know or they're not sure. If you have a vote, get it in. I usually don't look at these. as I mean, they're not scientific in any way. But when it gets to a few thousand, sometimes it can be a little bit of, I don't know, reliability at least in terms of how the fan fan base views things. But that's pretty pretty tight. Uh, oh, by the way, if you're watching this now, either live or whatever it is that you're queuing this up, please by all means, um, you know, spread the word on social media. So Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, Instagram. Whatever it is that you use to uh, engage others in LOLs and taunting. All right. What do you think is the most intriguing division going into 2015? Someone took the words right out of my mouth. Ring Zombie says 185. Sharks like Rockhold, Souza, Romero, Belfort, Anderson, Machida, Laites, Gagard. will keep that division exciting for some time. Uh, he says CM Punk will have a big money fight in the division. I could not possibly give an F less about that. Also, big names like Rashad and Shogun may drop down. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I think middleweight's probably your most interesting. And when you have, if you look at the rankings, right, this tells tells you sort of how good it is at the moment. If you look at middleweight, here is like 6 to 10, Six to ten is Joel Romero, Tim Kennedy, Gagard Musasi, Michael Bisping, CB Dalloway. Eleven to fifteen: Talis Laties, Costas Philippou, Tim Boach, Mark Wiens, and Brad Tavares. Now, there's a pretty clear drop off between six to ten and then eleven to fifteen, no doubt about it. But listen, if your six to ten has Joel Romero and Gegard Mousasi and Tim Kennedy in it, you're you're doing well. Your champions, Chris Weidman. Here's one to five: Anderson Silva, Jacques Ray, Lyoto, Vitor Belfort, Luke Rockhold. Like that, that is a uh, again steep drop off after ten, but that's a pretty compelling division you're one through ten, including your champion, so eleven guys that that is a that is a that is that is a serious division right there. I also noted that some folks were making a claim that Bantamweight might be interesting next year. And listen, I I suspect that a lot of divisions will have good moments. Look, Featherweight is going to have an issue where we're going to resolve this Conor McGregor issue one way or the other, right? Either he loses to Dennis Seaver and it's calamitous, or he beats Dennis Seaver and then is really sort of left with no opportunity but to either fight for the title or another wrestler. And even if he fights for the title, at some point a wrestler is going to come his way. I, I don't see any way he leaves 2015 without fighting a wrestler unless he loses to Seaver initially, which I find... Um, highly improbable. So featherweight is one you want to watch. I also think that if he can stay healthy, um, I'll get back to bantamweight in a second, I also think if he can stay healthy, that if Pettis can compete three times next year, lightweight is going to be one to watch. Now, I don't know that you necessarily see any guy who is, um, oh my God, I don't think Pettis can beat this guy, I can't wait to see it. You know, I don't know that uh, as as much as I respect him, Rafael dos Anjos has much of a chance. If Cerrone beats Miles Jury this weekend, I don't favor him very much either. Habib Nurmagomedov is floating out there. As you know, I'm I'm captain of the of the fanboy club of Habib Nurmagomedov. But that being said, being off for so long, you wonder about his performance from that sort of layoff. But still, um, just seeing a guy of, of Pettis' caliber grow and develop and put on a show, I think is important for that division as well. Welterweight, we'll see what happens with, with the next title shot. But you've got Rory McDonald waiting in the wings. You've got Hector Lombard competing this weekend. Um, so that division is going to be one to watch. I still think that light heavyweight is going to be languid. I still think that heavyweight is going to be real dependent uh, hit or miss. And flyweight and bantamweight I think are interesting because you got guys coming up this weekend, I believe. Kyoji Horoguchi is competing. That's a guy you want to keep an eye on. And as it relates to bantamweight, um, which so, I think some folks were highlighting is interesting, I would actually take some issue with that. I think that bantamweight. When you say which division is going to be most interesting, it's not like you're going to have a whole division that's going to be interesting. By and large, you're going to have portions of it, which is why I highlighted middleweight being one to ten because after eleven and so forth, it's not necessary I'm mean, horrible by any stretch, but it's not really that compelling. Um, bantamweight for me, with Dominic Cruz being out, a Sun Sal being injured. You know, we'll see when they come back, but. Uh, it's only interesting in the sense you have a couple of fights they could make if they somehow find a way to uh, overcome the obstacles without tearing a gym apart, and they can do Dillashaw versus Faber. That's interesting in terms of a narrative, but I think we all kind of know which way the fight would probably go. Um, but I agree that could be a big money fight for them, and would be sort of novel as a thing to observe to see how the whether or not the gym fractures as a consequence. Um, you know, but there's a lot of like retreads in the division. Guys who've been thoroughly washed, and it's not really clear what you can do with them after that. At least against many of the top similar names, we'll see what Hendon Boral can do. But for me, when you talk about Bantamweight, you're talking about emerging contenders, right? So you're talking about Thomas Almeida. You're talking potentially about Aljamain Sterling. Um, you're talking about. Um, I think Mookie Alexander wrote an article about this not too recently. He highlighted those two. Oh, Pedro Munoz, right? So you've got guys like that that you want to point to. And you say, you know, that to me is kind of interesting. This is real developmental talent ready to burst through the seams with the kind of wins that we know that they're capable of getting if they have time to, to uh, uh, you know, have their talents fostered and their abilities mature. So that to me is the issue. But when you say division, you got to be really kind of precise about what you mean. You mean like... There's a queue of title contenders ready to take on an intriguing champion. Okay, that's fine. Are you talking about in Bantamweight's case, surging guys from the bottom? Okay, that's fine. Are you talking about middleweight, where the whole top 10? Okay, that's fine too. Um, But sort of be clear about the terms, about what it is you like. And I think if you look at it that way, there's only a couple of divisions that don't stand out. As far as the women, by the way, we'll see what Ronda Rousey does. Um, But strawweight, to me, also seems like a division that could potentially have a lot of interesting matchups in 2015 as well. Bantamweight, I don't know, for women anyway. Let's see. Jones versus Cormier, no common opponents. Luke, I've read almost every breakdown on Jones versus Cormier. One thing interesting is they have no common opponents, which makes the fight even more of a mystery. I was wondering, how do you think Jones would have done against some of the heavyweights that Cormier dominated, such as Antonio Silva, Josh Barnett, Frank Mir, Roy Nelson? Do you think Jones would have, uh, would have handled the above heavyweights with as much ease? Um well, he trains with Frank Mir, so I suspect that that's one of those ones where, I mean, we're talking about a counterfactual universe where maybe he doesn't train with him. What kind of success would he have? At this, at this juncture, I think Frank Mir, um, I have a ton of respect for what he was able to do. I think the way he came back from the motorcycle accident, you know, the whole generation of fans who just don't even appreciate that and how bad he looked against Marcio Cruz and, um, and others. But uh, I don't know that the Frank Mir that we have today is that durable, is that forward thinking, is that aggressive. I think he, you know, listen. The game chews you up, and I think he's on the other side of being chewed a little bit. Um, so in that sense, I don't know that he would pose any real threats. I mean, obviously they went to the ground, but and Frank Mir is actually a little bit better of a wrestler, and he gets credit. But I don't know that that would really work against uh, Jones. I think Jones would sort of pick him apart, especially in the clinch. Roy Nelson, I think, I think uh, John Jones would have very little trouble staying away from his big power. Again, who beat up Roy Nelson in the clinch for BC over Doom? I, I think John Jones could do things. You know, in a very similar fashion Josh Barnett would be a tough fight Because part of the way that Cormier won that fight Was really mixing it up um, But I think if Jones was aggressive enough that was a, That's a fight he could win as well um, And Antonio Silva, you know, the, the speed differential You know, Jones is, Jones is fast, but he's not wicked fast But, you know, he's got a little He's got Pep in the step And he's got good timing Against a guy like Antonio Silva I think that's just deadly Barnett is one of those ones where you're like How would that go? Um, it'd be interesting to see but you know, someone asked to think about the reverse, like how would DC do against Rampage, or at least a Rampage that that, that Jones fought at in Denver, uh, or Rashad, or Machida, or Vitor, or Glover. Um, again, at the time that he fought Rashad, at the time he fought Machida, at the time he fought Vitor and Glover, these are good questions. I don't know how uh, DC would do against Machida, to be honest. I think that Machida might be Jones's best win. You know, there have been many ways to define best win. Is it the best win the one against Gustafson because he was pushed to the limit and found creative ways to come back. Is that the most impressive win? Is the most impressive win the one he had against Teixeira because he sort of put the fight on the terms by which Teixeira thought he could do best and was rendered impotent as a consequence. Is that the best win? Is, is I don't know, the Shogun win because he just blasted him from pillar to post. Is that the best win? To me, though, the Machida win might stand above all others. I mean, listen, guys. Guys who are good in mixed martial arts do not lose by standing guillotine, with, except for the rarest of examples. And I think that, and I don't have any stats to back this up, but I, I'd be willing to wager a little bit on this. I, I think that Leonardo Machito might be the highest-ranked opponent who's ever lost um, by guillotine choke. He might be the o- or standing guillotine choke. He might be the only guy in a UFC title fight for that to ever happen. And we, and we all know and respect... Leon Machida's prowess, including in jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, he's a black belt there as well. This is not unfamiliar territory to him. You know, the reason why standing guillotine is it's, 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 like, it's like arm bar from the guard. It's very low percentage. It's very hard to do because the escapes to it are relatively uh, easy. But Jones finds ways to use his mechanics and biology in that lengthy arm in ways that guys are simply unprepared for. And for him to be able to control Lyoto Machida in a way that probably no other light heavyweight could. And maybe not even had another heavyweight could. So not Daniel Cormier. Um, to me is unbelievably impressive. And then dropping him to the mat. I mean good guys do not lose the standing guillotines almost ever. Almost ever. You know you talk about like in tennis you have the uh, forced error and then the unforced error. Great players almost never make unforced errors. They make forced errors. You know, guys did something so good that they had no choice, you know, but to get into that territory. And Leoto Machida, you would think, oh, standing guillotine, this is the realm of unforced error because this is such a – the defense to it is so easy. You basically just walk your feet across more or less. I mean, there's more to it than that. But it's a, it's a it's very accessible defense. And, and somehow Jones found a way to, to take that and make it a forced error. Um, that, that, to me, is incredible. You know, you just don't see guys losing UFC title fights because they get standing guillotine. You see guys like Overeem was beating prior to his strike force run losing to standing guillotine. You know. Again, there are a couple of exceptions here or there. Um, but they're rare. I think I think Jens Pulver got Cub Swanson in a ten finger guillotine. So again, it's not saying that only bad fighters have that happen to them, but it's rare, man. It's rare, especially in a title fight. So that to me, that 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 stands out to me as like one of Jones's most impressive ways that he won that I just don't see Daniel Cormier being able to match in that particular way. Do you think people that pick Cormier to maul or wreck Jones because of his impeccable wrestling excuse me wrestling pedigree are blinded or forget who Jon Jones is and that he is capable of? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying, but here's what I would reply with. I certainly detect, I mean look, let me fix this, hang on, on. there we go. I think I spat on the camera because I'm a lumbering oaf. Um, I would certainly argue that there is a fair amount of analysis to me that is impacted by feelings towards one guy or the other. So, in other words, if people really dislike John Jones, they see Daniel Cormier's, you know. Because Daniel Cormier's resume is just so friendly. You know, it's not just that he, sorry, it's not just that he was a, you know, two-time Olympian and captain of the wrestling team and this, that, and the other. He's a friendly guy. He's really good at media. He's just so warm and, like, uh, easy to like. And so, I think that can both boost his profile um, while Jones being, you know, having a little more of a contentious relationship with MMA Fans, I didn't even plug in my damn camera or my computer. I'll plug it in here in a second. Um, I think that is impacting how people look at this fight. Um, That being said, uh, and I'm picking Jones to win, just so everyone knows. Uh, That being said, I also feel like, I mean, listen, you just don't know what's going to happen in this fight, right? to me like any scenario is almost plausible because on the one hand you have two guys ostensibly capable of greatness that can lead to crazy outcomes on the other hand um one guy can be so much more capable of greatness that we didn't even realize i think that's also possible i mean it takes these you know you see these guys who have camps in preparation for title fights or grudge matches and sometimes they'll go back and they'll look at the the arc of their career and they'll point to these camps as like the moment where their technique and their abilities and something about their 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 you know capability of competition it just rose like all the 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 the, the ceiling rose the floor rose everything came up together about how bad they could be and how good they could be and how bad they can be you know was minimized even that much more so uh, and I think that this might be a camp for both of those guys But I think, uh, you know, that would benefit Jones a little bit more I guess what I'm trying to say is the following I'm, I'm a little hesitant to make a lot of bold declarations about this fight uh, I am willing to go on the record and pick John Jones um, And I do think that You know, once it won't be close I, I do think that all things being likely all, sorry, all things being equal The likeliest outcome is one where um, by the fifth round, if it goes that far, you'll know who's in control. But, you know, I think that people are, I mean, listen, Daniel Cormier is not young by his stretch of the imagination. He's 35, he's my age. And I feel like, I'm not, you know, listen, not two time Olympian, but I feel like death most days, you know. Um, the interesting thing feature for me is that the only real reliable way to judge what's going to happen in a future fight is to look at tape and examine it and tendencies and what guys do and what they've been bad at and what they've been good at. Someone noted they've never had any common opponents. This affects things as well. I guess the central point I'm trying to make is people sort of assume, and I think a little foolishly, that the finality of Cormier's talent is there for us to look at. In other words, I would I would submit to you that if you looked at tape for this fight, in almost any fight, you can cobble together a legal case such as it is. You could make a case for why this guy should win or could win, and you can make a case for why this guy could or should win. I think the accurate reading of the tape, and I'm just being as candid as I can be, I think an accurate reading of the tape would give you more scenarios where John Jones wins. Not that Gideon Cormier can't win, or there aren't scenarios where you could plausibly make an argument for him. I think you can make a very plausible argument for Daniel Cormier, but I think the mo- there's, more, there's, more, uh, um, uh, there's more known about the upside and creativity and fight IQ um, and h- how tested he is in this space of John Jones than there is for Daniel Cormier. But that said, when you get guys who are still new in the game despite his relative age, and you get guys who are dogged competitors, uh, I don't think you've seen the best of Daniel Cormier. I think you have a good chance of seeing it here, which is to say there's another level of competition which guys like this rise to. Now, that's conjecture on my part, but we've also seen that in MMA and other circumstances, uh, particularly with weight class changes. Uh, Now, he's not changing weight classes for this bout. He's changed weight classes prior to this bout. But I I guess I would point out to you that we have reason to believe that guys of this um, work ethic, guys of this... Uh, guys who are in this kind of World Cup class camps, guys who are still you know, only five years into mixed martial arts. He is older, but I don't think he's reached that spot where he can't reasonably still add some skills and makes more tactical adjustments such that he needs to. Is that enough to beat John Jones? You might say yes. Others might say no. I guess my only point being is I see a lot of guys looking at Daniel Cormier's resume and being like, okay, well, he washed these guys, but these guys are nothing compared to who John Jones fought. What we've seen Daniel Cormier against these guys is not really enough to argue that he can beat John Jones. And I, would, I wouldn't take issue with that. I would take issue with the idea that what you've seen in those 15 bouts, roughly, mm-hmm is somehow the totality of his ability. I, I, have a, I have a real hard time accepting that. I have a hard time accepting that if you just look at it, go down, get on Fight Pass and look at what he's done in Strikeforce and UFC, that you know what Daniel Cormier can or basically can't do. I think there's another level that he has not hit uh, that we need to be prepared for. So when you take that into account, again, it's conjecture and this may be all baseless speculation, but I do believe that we have reason to believe based on what we've seen in mixed martial arts from other guys, from other competitors, particularly with this little sort of amount of novice and early time, relatively speaking, in mixed martial arts, and guys who are competitors like this, um, I would expect more from him. I don't think what you've seen is finality by any stretch of the imagination. But maybe John Jones goes in there and blasts him out and around. I don't know. This question follows up perfectly. Would you say Cormier's MMA resume is a little overrated, not comparatively to Jones? Would I say Cormier's MMA resume is a little overrated? I don't know. Overrated by who? It depends what people are saying. We took some calls in the XM Fight Club. People being like, "I don't think this is even going to be close." I think, I think, you know, Daniel Cormier is going to run over him. I mean, he might. You know, I don't. I'm not going to get up here and tell you that such a thing is crazy. Uh, but I would say, again, in reviewing of the evidence from the outset looking in, from the outside looking in, from the beginning of this process, that's a difficult argument to make. That's a very difficult argument to make. Um, I think what folks are saying is, why is Cormier getting this kind of hype as the guy to beat John Jones when you look at his resume and he's beaten guys like Roy Nelson and uh, past his prime Frank Mir, um, arguably a past his prime Barnett. And um, you know a Bigfoot Silva who is okay but not great, and Jeff Monson, right? Uh, How can you how can you make those claims authoritatively? Um, Again, in reviewing the tape, you are in reviewing the tape. There are plausible scenarios for Daniel Cormier. There are many more for John Jones. I would I would submit to you, but I would be very cautious. I would be very very cautious about getting on here and saying things like, well, we've reviewed the evidence and this is what Daniel Cormier can do. I would I would expect for this kind of camp, for a guy with this relative, abil- uh, this relative um, uh, exposure to the game, to have another tick up in ability every time. I still would put that in front of him. Now, how much longer that can last, I don't know. But uh, I don't think you've seen all of his tricks. Would you say UFC is kind of rooting for Cormier to win? In a sense that it sets up a future blockbuster rematch. I mean, I'm certainly, if they have a really tight contest and Cormier wins, I don't think they'd be uh, heartbroken about it. But I think that they're, despite all the headbutting they've done, I really believe fundamentally that they want John Jones to win. And the reason why is because you've already invested this much time in this guy. You know, how many years has he been headlining shows? How many. Uh, promotional, how much promotional effort and manpower and dollars and resources have you put behind this guy? And it's a guy who on his own has certain appeal. I mean, Cormier might have that too, given the opportunity. But, um, you know, a guy who can go on Regis and – or not Regis and Kelly. It's, is it Michael Strahan and Kelly? I don't even, Is it – Demichael Strahan, is he even still on that show? He was on that show at the time. Um, you know, a guy who can go on major shows, like, and many others he's been on as well, too, uh, by the way. Deadspin did a huge feature on him. We're talking about that kind of guy. Cormier may be that kind of guy too, but Cormier is 35, you know. Um, doesn't have a whole lot of time left in the game before he either becomes a coach or a commentator or, uh, or whatever it is he does in the next chapter of his, of his life. So, so yeah, you've already come this far with Jones. There's all this hemming and hawing about how he's he's big, but not as big as he could be. You know, he takes time to, to get someone to be a big star, and um, he's much further along the path than Daniel Cormier and has much more time to soak it all in. Uh, you know, whether he stays light heavyweight, I don't know. But you get the idea. I just feel like... Um, I just feel like... Not that Cormier winning would be somehow damaging, I would be a really wrong argument to make, but for all they've invested in John Jones, he could take a big turn and a big step up with this win that a loss could just continue to set back those efforts that they've that they've you know forwarded for so long. You know are they going to go out there and root for the guy openly? I don't know, but uh hackers release user info for u f c Fight pass. Luke, I read that hackers release user info, credit card numbers from UFC Fight Pass. How serious is this? Or do you have more details? Is my credit card in danger? Well, I, you know, uh, I can assure you that um, I changed my password. If you want to change your credit card, I recommend it. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, I had these weird charges on my account. Have you? So, you know, um, and I read that Ian Kidd thinks that that maybe the guy who had all the initial reporting about some of the security lapses in Fight Pass, he thinks that it didn't. He has argued, you know, uh, publicly on Twitter, he doesn't believe there was an actual hack. So just to be on the safe side, um, I changed my password. He says that by the way that they have upped their security anyway, um, you know. But you can, you can never be too concerned. Ch- check your credit card statements. But I haven't seen anybody that has shown any evidence that they've had their stuff taken uh not that you know i'm begging for that to happen my stretch of imagination but uh it may have been um it may be real it may have been a false threat so far i've not seen any evidence it happened but just to be on the safe side do the right thing ufc 182 paper uh pay-per-view buys luke how many pay-per-view buys would you consider a success for this show to be honest, and y'all are gonna laugh at me, I see people being like, oh, this will do 1.1 million. Y- y'all are, y'all are high. Y'all are sky high. <laughs> I, I think if it does 600,000, that's a huge win. Um, we are not living in a, guys, I, I don't know how else to tell you this. You know, <laughs> um, pay-per-view is not what it used to be for everyone in the space, we all know that. We are also living in a world Where UFC does not have as much exposure on TV as they once did, believe it or not. Uh, It's true, they don't. And, um, I mean, they have a lot of exposure week over week, but they're not able to hit these huge audience marks like they once were on a more routine basis. Um, And, uh, you know, we live in a world where they've they've lowered their own pay-per-view basement, floor... By putting on so many shows. So it's a damaged, you know, uh, uh, they've damaged your ability to recruit audiences for pay per view. Not, you know, horribly. I mean, 600,000 is still an F ton of money, um, but they've certainly lowered it, they've impacted it. You have pay per view space itself sort of being in a problematic state. And then you have, what I would argue is they don't have a ton of exposure on television, the kind where you need to reach massive amounts of audiences. So when they reach million, million, million week over week, it's largely the same million. They're not really being able to catapult themselves into a new stratosphere. I think people know who Jones is. I think the brawl helped with sort of Daniel Cormier's visibility. It's an easy media sell. It will do well. I would say 700,000 would be a minor miracle. would be a minor miracle. I hope. I hope. So I'd say somewhere above five and less than seven that's what i would say but i say people being like oh it'll do 850 to a million no it won't i'd be i'd i would i would almost i mean i'm not foolish but i would almost bet my mortgage it won't even get anywhere near 850 to get 850 today boy you have to have something special going on uh I just think that a lot of people don't know who Cormier is. They don't understand the rivalry per se. Jones isn't as big as he could be. And all the other reasons I mentioned about UFC treating the pay-per-view space, the pay-per-view space generally, all these things are going to impact it. Listen, it's still a great show. The UFC, I think, has done a really great job promoting it. I really enjoyed Bad Blood. I thought Anthony Bourdain's commentary of it was really fun. Um, there was a lot of interest online for it. It's it's a great product. It's a great product, but facts are facts. Um, the space is hurting. UFC has done too much operating in the space, for, I think you can make a strong case that they have, which has impacted their ability to sell there. Um, it's not going to do 800000 ever. But it will be a big success, which I think is the most important part. Jonathan Snowden tweeted about his concerns of whether this fight will penetrate mainstream sports fans. Here you go. Luke, Jonathan Snowden tweeted about his concerns of whether this fight will penetrate mainstream sports fans. Now that we are a few days away from the fight, how do you see this fight doing? Do you think it would have been a bigger if it took place in September? Of course. I know personally this is the biggest fight amongst my social circle since UFC 168. I would say that's about right. I would say it's about right. I think it'll do, again, 600, to me, I don't know what internal expectations UFC has. To me, 600 to even 700,000 would be, would be 700,000 would be great. I would consider that to be a great win all things considered. Um, it's a good show. Like there's nothing wrong with this. You, like you know, you're not supposed to say buy it or don't buy it. I always give you the same answer. If you like something, buy it. If you don't, don't. But if you're a fight fan, it's not clear to me what you don't like about this. There's not much to dislike, but the point about whether whether it'll reach mainstream sports fans, I don't I think it has to some extent. Um there's a little bit more attention being paid by the traditional sports media to this thing um we'll see how that picks up today tomorrow and friday those are the really the most important days in terms of influencing pay-per-view uh, buyers uh, really pay-per-view buyers. i mean who buys pay-per-views like a month out like no one does it people are like thursday or friday like you know you want to watch it you don't want to watch it blah 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 some folks have it on their radar for a long time but you get the idea um so so yeah i think that one i don't I, y'all just need to accept a lot of mma fans aren't sports fans. Um, So it's a lot of non-overlapping audiences there. I think the question you're asking is other people who aren't traditionally MMA fans who may give it a chance on occasion, are we getting enough exposure into their media for them to come back over? Um, You'll get some of that, but this is why I'd be real hesitant about it too, you know. Um, There's going to be an NFL playoff game, I believe, that day, Um, if that's the case. You know, that's going to take up a lot of opportunity and, and time. So if, you're, if you're a sports fan, you're making opportunity cost. Do you watch a free game on television or do you watch um, a pay-per-view, admittedly a very good one, that is roughly at some of the same time? Well, not quite. I mean, in fact, most of the pay-per-view audience will take place after that game is over. But um, you get the idea. So listen... Folks need to fundamentally accept that MMA, combat sports, and traditional sports, they are cousins, but they're not the same thing. They have a bit of a different audience. In fact, they have a dramatically different audience. There is some overlap between them. Um, I think Cormier and Jones have all the ingredients that would interest traditional mainstream mainstream sports fans. I do not in any way, um, I would be, you know, I'm open to the idea that the next few days they'll get a lot more rolling in. We've already seen some evidence of it but I would have some managed expectations about how far that goes. Um, Good question. Oops. Donald Cerrone. Is Donald Cerrone a freak or is there something in his training eating habits that allows him to constantly keep fighting? Do other combat sports have the same kind of injury issues that MMA is plagued with? I would say, um, well... In MMA, you have you, you compete infrequently. So, like, in jiu-jitsu, you compete all the time. In wrestling, you compete all the time. In judo, you compete all the time. And those guys compete injured. But because they're competing so much more, you may notice less of the sorts of things that you see really pronounced in, in MMA. Because in MMA, you have to get ready for this one weekend, and in jiu that could be the case. But, like, for example, this past year in jujitsu, right? And I'm not going to get into the, so the more technical details, but, like, the Pan Ams, the IBJJF Pan Ams, so all of North and South America, believe me, that's a major tournament. That was, like, one week before uh, the, the Nogi Worlds. What? I think it was Nogi Pan Ams and Nogi Worlds were, like, a week apart. It was It was insane. It was insane. So you had dudes, like... Uh, I think Gary Tonin did really well at Pan Ams And then poorly at Worlds Or I can't remember, vice versa at this point it was Something like that Or no, AJ Agazarm Like got beat by Gary Tonin in the Pan Ams And then a week later arm goes and wins the Worlds It was nuts So you're constantly competing like that um, So you just it, uh, Maybe they have less injury But also I, don't, I just don't feel like you see it as much Because they're just way more active Typically speaking anyway um, Of course, MMA is one of those weird sports where it puts the sort of stresses on you that those other individual sports do, and then in ways in which it doesn't. Like, concussion woes are a problem in any kind of sport, including jiu-jitsu. Look at um, Jared uh, uh, Weiner out of, um, he owns a school in Philly. He does just jiu-jitsu, and he has bad concussion problems. Okay. Even in wrestling, you see it, guys get concussion problems. But it doesn't, you know, obviously it's not the same sort of epidemic as it is in football or maybe in combat sports. Um, but it certainly is exacerbated by the fact that in MMA you take strikes to the head, right? Or if you're just a Muay Thai guy, now you have to deal with all kinds of other issues that deal with knee problems that maybe you wouldn't necessarily get in Muay Thai that you have to deal with now because you have grappling contact. So it really puts a ton of stresses on the body. Um, I think you should, counter, you should take note of that fact. You should also take note of the fact that competition schedules in other sports, um, partly which speaks to their relatively lower threshold of injury incidents, uh, they have much higher rates of competition. As for Cowboy, listen, some guys are rhythm fighters like that. I mean, he, he's often been. Unequ- I got to plug this thing. In. He's often been unequivocal about it. He's often sort of noted, look, guys, um. I I I don't do well with layoffs. Uh, I know how to keep my body fresh. I know how to keep my body safe, at least inside the gym. And I do better when I'm just on a rotation on a schedule, like those guys who do jujitsu, like those guys who do wrestling, like those guys who do judo. If I'm if I'm you know competing all the time. Uh, this just keeps me in a sort of space and state where I don't have to train to get in shape, where a lot of injuries can happen. Um, certainly, there's other risks that are involved: fatigue, overtraining. You get the idea. But um, some guys can sort of manage that kind of pace and still have a measure of success. Uh, not all the guys can do that. Let me plug this thing in real quick. Hang on one second. Well, I read this question: counterfactual history. Hey Luke, slightly tough question. But what do you think the MMA landscape would look like today? In terms of divisional layout, fighters' rights, trends, etc., if the UFC had never bought Strike Force. Seeing Strike Force guys like Cormier, Rockhold, Souza do so well in Bellator's rise under Coker has got me thinking. P.S. I'm really excited for Jones Cormier, but I've been surprised how dismissive some respected analysts have been of DC's chances. There you go. Patrick Wyman was saying the MMA Untethered podcast it really thinks it's a clear-cut win for Jones. Well, I think Jones wins too, and I like Patrick's analysis actually. Where do you stand on the competitiveness of the match? Well, let's go things first things first because it is a difficult question. Um, what do I think the landscape would look like today if they had never bought Force? It depends on what you believe, right? Do you believe that Force was in debt to the extent that they said it was? That it was, you know... Fedor and the alliance with M1 was a financial disaster that forced the owners into uh, this situation where, to protect their assets and their investment, they had no choice but to sell the brand. Is that the truth? Or is the truth that uh, the brand was doing pretty well uh, and maybe they didn't get quite the returns that they wanted, but this idea that it was a financially insolvent organization, you know, ready to. Um, perform seppuku on the altar of bad business because they didn't know what they were doing. Um, you know, is that is that is that the truth? Uh, I, or, you know, um, if you read John Nash's stories about you know Force and Remembrance, a lot of the Force executives make the case that yeah, listen, these were huge investments that we made in Fedor and other guys as well. You know, look at some of the contracts they paid out. These guys are getting paid. The guys who got their Strikeforce contracts grandfathered into UFC routinely make more than their peers, and they also make them in ways where they don't have, you know, win and show money. They just have guaranteed money, a la boxing. Um, well, you know, boxing has other other paying mechanisms too, but they don't have as much win show disparity as we do often. Um, in any event, um, anyway, Coker makes the case that. It wasn't what people thought. Like we were doing just fine. They, you know, they weren't getting quite the return that they wanted. Um, they didn't quite see the upside of maintaining, you know, a space in the business. But this idea that they had run themselves into the ground is just not true. If that's the truth, if that's the case, I don't know that today would be remarkably different than what we have right now. I mean, in some ways, the order of things have kind of been restored. Right? Coker's back in the number two promotion. He's got a lot more money behind it. It's still in a Viacom company. Now again, every time a six a, a challenge to the UFC dies, the number two automatically be, becomes even further behind them. So you can see how much further Beltor is behind UFC than Strikeforce was. But um, but yeah, I I think that it wouldn't look much different than it is today, except Strikeforce would be in a in a, um, in a much more advantageous, or I should say, the number two would be in a much more advantageous position. But it's kind of funny to me that. There was this natural, I don't know what natural is the word, but there was this basic market correction that kept Coker back where he was, put him right back in, in, in a similar position um, that he had been in when he was running Strike Force. number two guy, Viacom-backed organization. Uh, this time a little more forcefully, they, You know, Viacom owns it and um, they're on Spike TV, so, so everything is not the same, but players in the space that weren't really relevant before are now, again, not very relevant. All right, I'm going to plug this in. One second. All right. Uh, Footwork and movement. Luke, how do you define the difference between footwork and movement? I sometimes hear commentators calling both of them at the same time, which they are clearly not. Can you give examples of each? Um, Yeah. Actually, someone makes a good point. Connor, uh, I always mispronounce his name, Rubush and Patrick Wyman do a podcast focusing on footwork and movement recently. It's the Heavy Hands Podcast. It's usually very good. Check out that episode. Yeah, first of all, I would recommend you go listen to those guys. They do a little bit more of this sort of examination than I do, at least on a more routine basis. Oh, I need to drink some of this water, man. I'm supposed to go do a marathon roll after this. and I haven't had any water. That's going to go poorly. there's lots of different movement you can have and sometimes the two are interrelated so for example if you're if you're walking out to the outside of someone's power hand and using basic mechanics which using them correctly um you know that is some function of movement uh lateral movement we talk about in the gust of sin versus jones bout. one of the ways in which gust of sin was able to counter some of the kicking the low body kicking of jones was by using lateral movement constant lateral movement um one thing, by the way, Daniel Cormier does kind of well. Harder to sustain, but I think he does pretty well. So that's some form of movement. I think another form of movement might be guys who don't move their feet a whole lot. Who was the fight Mike Tyson was in where, was it Razor Ruddock? I can't remember, but um, Tyson was backed into a corner. Feet basically planted. I mean, they were moving a little bit, but he was constantly moving at the trunk, avoiding shots, ducking and dodging all on the ropes and in the corner. To avoid being plastered. That would be a great example of movement. Uh, Dominic Cruz does the darting that BJJ Scout had and Lawrence uh, Kenshin have underscored as well. These are all different kinds of ways to do movement. Um, Footwork is about a lot of different things. It's about setting up your opponent. It's about putting yourself in different positions. Um, it, It is about establishing range and distance and timing. It's a function of all those things that incorporates movement, but there's movement beyond just what footwork can allow you for. Um, Footwork is probably the most important component of movement. Footwork might be the most important component of fighting in some capacity, but there is a set of movement, uh, of moving your body in ways that is both in conjunction with footwork and, and, um, and as an addendum to footwork that all help you compete in different ways. I got to find that fight that Mike Tyson was in where he was backed into the corner. God, who was that, man? I'm trying to remember. He won the fight. I think he knocked the dude out from the corner. Um, ah, I can't remember now. MMA wish list 2015. Give us your top five on your MMA wish list for 2015. Okay, I'll just make this up. I haven't thought about this at all. Number one, fewer injuries. I know we can't get rid of them, but let's get rid of as many as we can. Let's get the fights we want to see. That's the first one and most important one. Number two, I really, 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 (laughs) really, really want to see the UFC... It's not just about dropping face the pain. It's about dropping a fealty in production and brand alignment with a time that has long since passed. And they've done that in many other ways. And again, I will compliment the promotion of UFC 182 to a great degree. I mean, understand... Dana White has basically been MIA for this fight. This is one of the biggest fights that the UFC has had in ye- or certainly months. And we'll see how it goes and how it ultimately does. You could make the case after the fact. One of the biggest fights they had in years. And Dana White is only able to do a small spot on Fox Sports 1. He's not really out there heavily promoting. Now, we'll see what happens today at Media Day and, and things like that. But, you know, it just hasn't had a tremendous presence. So they're having to do that without their promoter. And think about that for a second. You know, these are, this is a difficult time. For them in that capacity. Um, and they've done a really great job of it. But generally speaking, there's just so much alignment with a time that is long since over. I it's not that you get rid of face the pain, it's you get rid of the idea that underpins somebody thinking having faced the pain around in 2014 or 2015 now is a good idea. Like, what is the idea that makes you believe ultimately having that open your show? What a decade after use is a good idea, or whatever it is, you know eight, nine years after use, how, how do you how could you possibly think that's a good idea? So whatever that idea is, which is a fealty to a time that is long since over, the rejection and repudiation of that is what I'm looking for. So that's two, three. Um, I would like to see I think only in the sense that I think it'd be good for fans in the business and I think UFC is great as a competitor. I would like to see Bellator push UFC because when Bellator pushes UFC, UFC pushes back, and when Bellator pushes UFC and UFC pushes Bellator, fans win. So that'd be three. Four, I guess, would be um, I want to see some elite athletes come over to mixed martial arts in the next year. Uh, I want to see Hen- in that, so in that sense, I want to see Henry Cejudo do better. Um, maybe Bucea comes over next year. That'd be kind of cool Things like that And then five I guess I would say um, I mean some of the things I want I know they can't do So I don't want to say that exactly Um, I guess I'll just be selfish And say five I hope I get I hope that the platforms In which I'm able to interact With you guys Become bigger and better Um, This chat becomes I'll get to this later in the show But I hope this chat Becomes a bigger and better thing there you go. Natural Born Rematch. Carlos Condit has stated he fancies a rematch with Nick, Nick Diaz. Would you like to see that scrap again? If you would, what excites you about it? I think there's definitely some unfinished business about that fight, isn't there? There is a legion of people who fundamentally believe that Carlos Condit got a shot at George St. Pierre and a and a belt, how, interim or not, um, that he didn't deserve. Now I think he did. I scored the fight for him, but there is still lingering resentment over that bout. There is still um, I don't know what you want to call it. There's just still a fundamental belief that an injustice was done, and. More to the point Even folks who were sympathetic to Condit Who in retrospect were like Well of course he fought that way How else are you going to fight a guy who walks forward You're just going to cut You're going to hit him and cut angles all the time There's still a fundamental belief that Fans weren't given what they were owed Now That leads us back to the same question uh, Do we really believe that Condit will fight any rematch Differently? I don't know Maybe, maybe not You can make the case that This is how you just beat Nick Diaz, whether it was however many years ago or it's now. Okay. There's another case that you could make that, um, you know, Carlos Condit might be in a different spot in his career, and maybe he's not so much worried about the title, but he is uh, in terms of putting on exciting fights that, you know, he still thinks he can win, but, you know, could fight in a more fan-friendly style and make some more money. Uh, In that case, I think that would be a fun fight for people to watch but i would just be a little bit skeptical about what you would get a second time around being dramatically different than what it was the first time uh, thoughts on the deadspin jones article i thought it was an interesting refreshing take on jones however i wonder if the author hurt himself at all in the way he portrayed jones and that other athletes will be hesitant to grant him such access in the future for example the part about the waitresses your thoughts on that or the piece in general Uh, First of all, really enjoyed the piece in general. One thing I think that folks need to accept is that a majority of the good work in terms of MMA media, and I don't mean like people who do this for a living, but media that covers MMA, will come from people who cover MMA on a regular basis. But there is definitely an argument to be made that um, some of the better coverage sometimes comes from folks who have nothing to do with the sport you know guys who take a look at it with fresh eyes and who don't have the same ties to the community and the same concerns or even the same investment because they're not fans a lot of the best work comes from folks like that and you have to accept that and i think it's just part of the natural order of things you know um and and in some ways that seems very logical to me that guys who are able to examine it from a different perspective and, a, and oftentimes you see that the work that people do outside of MMA is long form, you know, because I think that's also them, the author, trying to navigate waters that they don't fully understand. It's them working it out. Um, and I think that's a really interesting process to watch because you get another twist of the screw that you don't normally get with somebody who's there all the time, who knows Malkikawa and has him on its speed dial, you know. It's a little bit different. And I think that's an important thing to have. So in that respect alone, I enjoyed it. I think Greg Howard is a fantastic writer. I highly recommend it. Uh, I do think that Deadspin has a bit of a... How do I say this? They... What was great about Greg Howard's piece was that he acknowledged the flaws of Jones and his, Jones's humanity and Jones' own struggles with his own identity and Jones' inability to relate to the MMA fan base. Um, but short of some of those things, which, again, Howard expressly notes, but short of that, a lot of Deadspin articles about Jones border on hagiography. Hey, which isn't to say he's not worthy of tremendous praise, but I feel sometimes the balance is a little bit off. Not This isn't a dramatic uh, uh, critique. Um, it's a minor one, a very minor one. But it is something I sort of noticed, that the amount of praise they heap on him uh, isn't undeserved, except that it's a little cartoonish at times. In any event, short of that, what, he, what, what this reader is referencing, if you haven't read the piece, there's a moment where Jones is talking about how lovely his marriage is and how his... And how he works so well with his wife And all the things that they've been through together And it seems very genuine And then, according to what was written in the article um, Pretty waitresses came over And Jones wrote down his phone number and gave it to them Um, That was listed in the article Now, personally, I don't care what he does It's utterly irrelevant to me If he's a um, philanderer I I just don't care I mean, mean, hurting people's not great But um, it's just not my business But... uh, so again, they 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 they, they discussed like sort of the, the the humanity of this guy and, and such that it is both good and bad, um, which I appreciate. It's a good article. I, I, if I just had one minor critique, it's that they they they, they praise the kid in a little bit of a weird way sometimes. Uh, good guy, bad guy. Uncle Dana says that champion John Jones should embrace the bad guy role. Do you agree? If Jones wants to, here's what I would say about that. Everyone's like, oh, he should do this. He should do that. He should do. Whatever it is that he wants to do and nothing else. Do you know why? Because he owes you nothing. He owes me nothing. Oh, it'd be good for business. He could make more money. He makes plenty of money. (laughs) Probably. He doesn't seem to be squawking about money too much these days, does he? Right? Probably getting a fair amount of money. Um... He doesn't need to do anything. Now, if you're asking, is there a benefit to doing that? Sure, you could make a case that there's a benefit to doing that. But ultimately, if he keeps winning fights the way he has been, and if he beats Daniel Cormier, let's say, decisively, either through decision or by stoppage on Saturday night, it doesn't matter whether the fan base thinks he's fake, which is like fake isn't even a real criticism, by the way. Fake is one of those things where like you can't call someone fake without putting a hashtag in front of it. It's the most it's the lowest common denominator of critiques. It's nothing. It's not a real thing. It's what it's the it's what stupid people f- think is like an authentic argument. Which isn't to say that he doesn't act duplicitously, or, uh, you know, he has, you know, different sorts of personalities or different sorts of circumstances. But that's not dramatically different than anybody. You think you know who I am? Do I think I know who you are? You don't know me. And I don't know you. You know the one I present to you here. But that's just, you think I go home to my wife just like this? People watch my program that I do for SB Nation. Luke Thomas is pissed. Oh, is that Luke? Is it? Or is it something I'm doing for for just that video? You don't know who people are. And this idea that it's scandalous You know, to want to put on a public face when you're doing an ESPN interview is ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. Of course you want to put on a good face. You know, and this idea that like, oh, well, I want someone who's authentic all the time. I want someone who is mature and candid. I don't want someone to show me who they are at all times. I am perfectly okay with walking out here and interacting with my coworkers in a professional context and nothing more. I don't need to know who they are. It's it's not it's not required. It's not interesting to me, and I mean, I'm sure it's not interesting to them. So, like this idea, well, he, he, it's like you know, Johnny Manziel likes football. No, Johnny Manziel likes hashtag football. It's not. It's not. It's not. It is, it's not a true. It's not a true thing. It's the last refuge of people who just can't stand the guy for reasons that might be valid and many reasons that aren't valid, with little more to say than. Um, this guy has the luxury of being different things to different people Out of necessity and, and out of want Okay, great But you don't know him and neither do I And and this fantasy that you can, you know, label him as such With a with a phony label to begin with Which isn't even a real argument To me it's just, it's just it's so asinine and ridiculous So if he wants to do it And, and I, you know, he might And make more money, great And if he doesn't want to, I don't give an F. 2015 Crystal Ball. Luke, who, if any, of today's current champions do you see losing in 2015? Well, I think Dillashaw might have a run for his money. Maybe. I don't know about that, actually. I might walk that back. Let's see if Esparza can hold on to her belt. I think she probably can. I don't see anybody taking Rousey's belt. Demetrius Johnson's probably safe. D- Dillashaw, I'd take that back. He's probably probably safe. Featherweight, we'll see. Probably safe. Lightweight, we'll see. What, uh, it, it, number Gamedov's of time off just makes it hard for me to believe he's got a good chance this time around. Uh, Welterweight, I don't know if Robbie will end the year as champion. I mean, he might. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's crazy, but I don't know that it's a certain thing either. Um, wyman has got a, just a lot. Of weidman well, has got a lot of struggles in front of him. I mean, I'd, I'd like him to win all those fights, but just to be able to do that is a very difficult thing. Um, we'll see what happens with Jones, whether he, if he wins on Saturday, if he jumps up. Uh, and then came Velasquez, the Can he stay healthy? You know, if he can, sure. I don't see anyone beating him, but is that a certain thing? I don't know. Um, so there you go. By the way, S got real last night in Japan, and the, the reader has a picture of Fedor, who looks... Semi slender. It's like a little bit of a haunt a paunch, but uh next to Scott Coker, Coker with a wry smile. We'll see what happens with Airman. man. I don't know about that. All right, Jones versus Cormier, true or false. UFC one hundred eighty two gets more than five hundred thousand buys. I would say yes. UFC one eighty-two gets less than 700,000 buys. This is like me perfectly. I would say yes. Cormier takes Jones down at least once per round, every round. Uh, f- false. Jones takes Cormier down at least once. True. Jones will significantly hurt Cormier at least once with a body shot. False. Cormier will inflict more damage on Jones than Gustafson did. Oh, I have a hard time seeing that. Unless he can hold him down on his in his guard. Jones Cormier will go all five rounds. That's probably true. Jones Cormier will go down as one of the best UFC title fights of all time. Impossible to say. Ravens versus Steelers at 8 p.m. on Saturday. Do you think UFC 1A2 could take a hit because of the game? Again. I don't think that the overlapping audiences are that strong and that game should be over by 11, 11.30 um, before the main event gets started. Now, who wants to purchase a pay-per-view and skip everything? So it might have some impact uh, in terms of young men who would ordinarily watch it, especially since it's free. Um, I wouldn't discount the possibility, but if it does less than 700,000, I wouldn't point to this and be like, oh, this is why it did less. I mean, we're going in, there's plenty of reason to think it will do, so, do less than 700,000. Is UFC sleeping on the job in terms of promoting Jones Cormier? Nope. I think you're doing a great job. I think they're doing the best they can with the resources that they have. That's really all you can ask, right? What else can you do? Except with the resources you have, exhaust them. That's it. There's nothing else you can do. Um, in many ways, they got lucky with the brawl. You know, In many ways, this is bigger than it ordinarily would have been. Um, so no, I, I would be very hesitant to criticize UFC in the build up to this one. They've had original advertising around it. They the brawl has been a godsend, which they've smartly utilized. Um, they've given the guys as much mainstream media exposure as they could. I, I think UFC's done everything they can. Um, MMA media criticisms I get a little frustrated with some articles Which I feel are either misleading The journalist creates the issue himself E.g. article about Gastelum and Pace Overwhelming Woodley Or which I feel have their place In a celebrity tabloid Rather than a sports news website E.g. Tate thinks Rhonda smells Do you take issue with any of this? Are there any improvements that you would want to make to the MMA news platform? I think my days of trying to be MMA's ombudsman, self-appointed, are over. Um, You know, just follow me on Twitter to see the kinds of news that I think is good or interesting. And that'll be all the answer that you need. But I think I also work for the best website in in the sport, so. all right, is Miles Jury being overlooked a little? It seems much of the focus is on Cowboy, his lifestyle, and his hats. Well, they are great hats. But little seems to be focused on Miles' jury. Yes, Cowboy has been in there with some of today's greats, but with Gomi, Sanchez, Ricci, Nijem, and Johnson on Miles' recent defeated list, is everyone's favorite Cowboy in a lot more danger here than it seems most folks anticipate? If Miles beats Cowboy, how do you think it is most likely to happen? Um, and then someone says, Ben Folk said it best about Jury. He's like the ultra bro dude. That everyone knows in life And has to admit is a good fighter But nobody really likes him Harsh but I think he might be right I mean a couple of things One I would argue that That what Ben Folk said is true That's one Two He doesn't really have a signature win You know he just doesn't Um, Cowboy in some ways Has fought Good guys and lost to them But at least he's been like Positioned next to them Jury has never done that you know, Dre's never fought um, somebody super talented and maybe lost, maybe got waxed, you know because Nate Diaz waxed uh, uh, Don Cerrone so did Anthony Pettis, but he was at least given opportunities to compete against those guys and then comes out and then has these, you know really fantastic finishing performances I think he finished three of four guys this past year, and won performance bonuses in three of them, you know so he really has this dynamic style, now uh, just to be uh, fair to Mike... Or not Mike Ricci. Just to be fair to old Miles' jury. I think it's a really complicating factor. Again, so so the issue that Ben brings up is one. I think the fact that he's never really fought anybody that's like super awesome, I think is another issue. Um, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he supposed to be on two different seasons of the Ultimate Fighter? Yes. Miles had two stints in the Ultimate Fighter. His first stint was on Tough 13 when he tore his ACL in the first episode. And then he came back. So he has like this real... You know, he, I think a lot of guys, and I'm guilty of this, a lot of guys who come from the Ultimate Fighter um, have a have a bit of a bias to overcome sometimes. I mean, guys like Uriah Hall got too much promotion, and in some sense, that's its own form of bias. But I mean the other side of that, which a lot of guys sometimes get left behind because we have, fairly or unfairly, sort of seen that, well, if you're a blue-chip guy, you don't need tough. So blue-chip guys don't really come out of there. And what we've seen is that's largely true. It's not exclusively true. Some good guys still come out of there, Kevin, Kelvin Gastelum and Miles Jerry being one of or two of them so I think that that is part of his problem too he's, uh, he's so he's he's a bit of a bro dude he's never really been positioned next to a really elite guy um he came out of the ultimate fighter had two different stints on it and neither was necessarily all that remarkable um and even the names he's beaten you know beating Nijim is nice but he beat Michael Johnson in 2002 2012 I'm sorry before he, Michael Johnson really turned the corner um Ricci is nice but he's been bounced. Diego Sanchez hasn't won a legit bout in a long time, you know, one that he was supposed to win. And Gomi, we all respect Technor Gomi for what he's done previously, but there's no denying he's on the other side of of the hill. So, yes, he stopped Nijim, but he barely beat Ricci, which was a terrible fight. Um he controlled Sanchez and he knocked out Gomi quickly, but you know, he has a bit of a defensive style. He has a really clean and efficient style and we should and we should we should honor that and we should be very thankful for that but he hasn't really the reason why there's just not enough there is because he's not really done it in a way that is against someone truly battle tested incredible Cerroni um is is a is a very elite credible talent if he can do that against that guy I think that's the moment when you're like okay okay great you know like Look at Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, everyone's like, man, if he can beat Jake Ellenberger, that's kind of impressive. And then he goes up there and just ruins Jake Ellenberger. And he might beat he might beat uh, Tyrone, Tyrone Woodley. And if he does that, it's like, oh, my God, how can you deny this guy anymore? And you're looking at a guy who was a time Kelvin Gastelum denier. Now, you can say what you want about the story about and whether the outcome there was fair. But, you know, the dude is, is obviously quite talented. And he's finally beating really named guys. Until now, Jury hasn't really been doing that. And when he's been beating them, they've kind of been over the hill if they have a name. And when they don't have a name but they're really good, maybe he's not putting in the performances that he should be. Uh, he's a bit of a bro dude, which is not the end of the world. It's, it's a lot of combinations. So he's had to overcome a lot of bias, and that's unfair, both with the ultimate fighter and sort of his general personality. But what is a very fair criticism is that while his resume is great, there's, no, there's not a lot to dislike there. But if you're asking why isn't this translating into this, it's for, you haven't done enough yet. It's, it's quite obvious, really. Let's see. The GOAT list. Greatest of all time list. Luke. Right now, my list of greatest fighters of all time consists of the following one, Anderson Silva. Two, GSP. Three, John Jones. Should John defeat Daniel Cormier, do you believe that would warrant him jumping George on the list of greatest fighters of all time? Should John defeat Cormier and Gustafson later on 2015, is it safe to say that John Jones is the greatest fighter of all time? Um I wouldn't put him up there right now. I'd still leave Anderson because I think that 16 fight we talked about this last week like, oh, well, Dominic Cruz go down as the greatest of all time at, at- Bantamweight, if he you know, gets a few more fights and a few more wins, it's like, I don't know, man, you miss that much time. Part of, part of establishing greatness is consistency over time, which includes competitive frequency. And if you don't have that, eh. now, of course, um, Anderson has had a long run of that and Jones is at the beginning of that. Nah, I think Jones has some work to do. I think he has to beat Cormier for sure. I mean, if he doesn't beat Cormier, then he definitely doesn't belong on the top of the list. But if he beats him, yeah, and if he beats Gustafson again and, and maybe Anthony Johnson, then you're talking about, you know, especially let's see how he beats them, if he does, then you're talking about, uh, you know, just transcendental greatness, just a level of greatness that you need to, that is simply undeniable, which is part of my whole point. It's like, Jones should, you know, Jones should be the bad guy and give everyone the Shinya Aoki double middle fingers and, and do the beast mode crotch grab. It's like, or just beat really good guys. What about that? What about just be himself, which is as charming as it is detestable, uh, and then just beat really good guys? (laughs) Can we just just agree on that? Like if he just beats really awesome dudes consistently for year after year, that that's probably enough to catapult him into some sort of stratosphere that is undeniable. UFC Primetime. It's been a long time since there's been a UFC Primetime. I would have thought if any fight would be given a Primetime series, it would have been Jones DC. Yeah. So the reason why they don't do that anymore is because as someone I think notes here in the comments as well, um, it's very expensive to do. I mean, to turn around on editing and getting it out and putting it on television. It's I mean, the production costs of that are monumental. TV's expensive. TV is expensive. That's why they sell a lot of money in advertising. That's why they pay a lot of guys to go over there and do TV. Like, if you're on TV, that's where you're making money. That's where all that's where all media folks want to not all. That's where many media folks want to go because it's, the money is so good. If you're on TV on some level, you're making pretty good money, probably. Um, but you know, to do that kind of show is really expensive. And guys, I mean, it's just to me, it's just a, they don't believe. Listen. Fox Sports needs UFC, and to some extent, UFC needs Fox Sports, right? But UFC doesn't need Fox Sports in the same way. In other words, if there were other suitors in the space, I could see those other situations being really advantageous for them. It's not clear to me what Fox Sports 1 can add if UFC left. You'd say, oh, what about NFL games? Okay, fine, but how many are? How willing is the NFL going to be to give them those games? You know, it's not the same kind of thing. UFC is willing to give them many, much of their content, put a you know regular weekly TV series on there and, and, and everything else, and Ultimate Fighter and all the live events. They give them a lot of content. Is another provider going to give them that kind of thing? I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer there is. But to me, so they have a great symbiotic relationship. But um, to me, I would look at this as a fundamental belief that they don't get the exposure that they need on Fox Sports 1, flat out. Flat out, and like this is the thing I've been talking about. Like, why is pay per view declining? A lot of different reasons, but for combat sports, you need a certain level of television exposure for that to have a carryover effect into mm-hmm. um, into pay per view. And more to the point, you need a certain kind of audience. So they get like much of the similar numbers they got on Spike on Big Fox. But it's not the same audience that goes and naturally has an inclination or is more susceptible to buying pay-per-view. That's why the Spike TV audience was so critical. It's like you do big numbers and it's a kind of audience that seems very receptive to your pay-per-view message. Um, They don't have that on Fox Sports 1. They have many good things about Fox Sports 1. This is not a Fox Sports 1 bashing contest. But speaking realistically, if they felt like they would get a return on their investment, they would make it. But they clearly don't. At least in this, in this capacity, the, the UFC primetime capacity. And I think that has to be acknowledged. True or false? Roy McDonald will be champion in 2015. Hmm. I will say false, but I could be wrong. Anderson Silva will try to use wrestling against Diaz. That's got to be false, right? Gustafson versus Johnson will last all five rounds and end in split decision. I will say true nobody is beating will brooks anytime soon no one in bellator anyway michael bisping will s- still get a top 10 fight but won't get close to telecontention anymore that is probably true ronda rousey and chris weidman will not retire undefeated uh i will say true Ooh dagger what do we have in the old tweet machine I was wondering what you thought the biggest title fights in every division are in history since we're getting two oh fives on Saturday, you mean. Uh, good question. Let's see. I mean, some of those are not even that big. Um, what's the greatest flyweight fight of all time? Is it one from Japan? I don't think so. Jeez. Um, uh, Johnson versus I don't know, Dodson's probably the biggest one For flyweight Bantamweight has got to be um, Again, discounting If you discount what happened In Japan previously So to speak to a more modern era of it Um Barao Dillashaw, I guess I need to go back and look What happened in Japanese MMA I'm so, I'm so out of the loop on that Um Lightweight would be Something involving BJ Penn I guess Penn Edgar won The biggest fights involving Lightweight are a guy who It was BJ Penn but when he fought at welterweight Like Penn versus Penn versus I haven't been this excited for a fight since Penn versus St. Pierre uh, One or two That to me is sort of the issue um, I would say that is probably your biggest welterweight fight for sure even though it's sort of like a mauling in the end um, middleweight I don't know, silver versus Sonnen or silver versus uh, probably silver versus Sonnen 2 maybe um, light heavyweight there's a great one, heavyweight uh Fedor versus Crowkop. I still I mean I'll never forget how big that was. That was nuts. Since then something with Brock. Brock versus uh no, Brock versus um Carwin. Maybe I mean it's not the greatest fight, but it's one of the biggest ones. I don't know. I have to go back. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's an era of mixed martial arts where the Japanese ran a lot of the lighter weight promotions and there were some big fights back then that I'm discounting that I am not doing proper service to that I need to go back and review before I gave you a good answer on those. Since CM Punk hasn't had a fight, could they use his first fight as a way to sell Fight Pass? Yeah, that's what you do to a guy you're paying ungodly amounts of money to. You put him on Fight Pass. That way no one sees it and you lose all your money. I'm not trying to be a dick, but that's the reality. You said you were picking Jones to win, but you didn't say in what fashion. Probably decision. If I had to guess the most likely outcome, I suspect decision. Where do you typically watch fights in the D.C. area? From my couch. Because uh, I have to do work. Uh, Someone says the chat video feed is lagging often. Don't worry, I have a separate recording that allows me, which I'll upload, so don't worry about that. Jones admits. Oh, here we go. Jones admits to lying under oath to the NSAC about the brawl with Cormier, causing the end of his Nike deal. Do you see NSAC, NSAC taking action? Um, I know that we have members of our own staff who have reached out to the NSAC to get some clarification. I still think he might be in the legal clear, and here's why. I, I don't know the answer. I, I'm not understand what I'm saying and not saying. I'm not here to defend him per se, because uh, if he did it, he should be punished. But here's what I would say. I would argue that um, part of what he claimed was that the, the the relationship between he and Nike and Nike and MMA and Nike and UFC was deteriorating for a long time, and that um, after the brawl happened, they were just like, you know, what? why don't we just part ways? So the question is, was he speaking um, from limited information? Was he speaking in a in a, in a technical way? Is he wrong? So there's a few defenses that he might employ with more information. But if you take his, but the criticism of him is that like, well, if you knew it was deteriorating and that was a straw that broke the camel's back, that's not the same as we were all in and then this ruined things. Those are two materially very different kinds of claims. Um, he needs to explain the difference. He needs to explain why it's one or the other. Either he just outright lied or, no, I didn't lie, I was working with limited information or this is how I interpreted your question. I I wouldn't say that he's outright effed. I would say that under further scrutiny, he might be just fine. But listen, guys, I don't know what you're expecting. We're talking about the NSAC, you know. Floyd Mayweather does this stuff. And I'm sure some of that, what he did on that show um, in the lead up to the, God, who did even fight last? Maidana fight. The doghouse thing where guys were forced to fight 30 minutes, no rounds and I'm sure some of that was dramatized for TV. I'm sure some of that is quite real. Dumb stuff between men happens at gyms across the country. Why would Floyd, May- Floyd Mayweathers be any different? They do dumb s like this. This is not this is not some like aberration of the norm. That is the norm. And he goes up there and was like, "Oh, this was just made for TV," which I'm sure is somewhat true and probably not true at all. And they were like, "You know what, Floyd? You bring us so much money. We are we're sorry for dragging you in here, but thanks for your candor and." uh We'll see you the next time you come out. You know, it's, I mean, Jones is not the same as Floyd Mayweather in that capacity, but he's not too dissimilar either. So uh, w- I don't know what you think is. Uh, everyone's like, oh man, is the N- is NSAC hammer going to come down? You mean on the, you know, arguably the greatest fighter ever and a youngest champion ever and a guy who's probably got another eight years of his career left? Yeah, I'm sure they're going to drop the hammer on him. I'm sure. Hashtag I'm sure. Someone says, I, I'm talking about CM Punk. I assume Fight Pass sales are underwhelming. It'd be a great way to set up Punk for success and sell Fight Pass subscriptions. That's true, but that would ultimately be a devastating loss of money. How do you feel Gus would do in a matchup with DC? Strong favorite either way. Amazing style contrast, in my opinion. Um, I don't think they're that dissimilar in terms of their striking. The question would be the wrestling. Would Gustafson be able to... Um, avoid getting the game mixed up on him would he, be, would, he, would he be offensively muted In anticipation of what Cormier was doing I think that to me would be the issue But striking um, I don't know that it would be so dissimilar Even with the different body types To me it's how the wrestling affects it And by the way I saw a cool thing About John Jones And it was like a gif or like pictures Of all the different ways in which he's taking guys down Folks I don't know why you're not doing that for Daniel Cormier Daniel Cormier is the king of like uh, running the pipe on a single and when it fails because a guy plants his weight one way He goes for the inside trip like Cormier is the man of getting you to commit one way So he can attack you the next you know what I mean uh, Ronda Rousey for example She's awesome at this like she's so so good at this. So what does she do? She goes to the standing sayo. Standing so I have your arm here grabbing the wrist and I'm gonna come under with my bicep. You can either drop to your knees or you can just throw them standing but you fake it a little bit. I mean you, you give them you sell the you sell the throw. So what do they do? They plant their weight down. You plant your weight down, you plant your hips, you plant your feet, you plant your ankles. And as she does that, she turns back into them and then hits them with a trip. Why? Because their weight is planted going backwards. Because you're trying to avoid getting thrown. So what do you do? You sink back, which means you're susceptible to Cormier does that with wrestling takedowns. He's the man with that, dude. It's incredible. So like I, I was I was hoping to be like, you know you can do this with Daniel Cormier too? Daniel Cormier hits inside trips. He hits single leg dumps, picks, uh, John Smith, low singles, step around throws. He has good throws from the clinch. He has good attacks on the hips and the legs. Um, that's why I like Cormier. He's got, he's got upper body takedowns, he's got lower body takedowns, and he's got an array of trips from either way um, and misdirection and misdirection takedowns. So I think folks should wake up to that a little bit. Is a super fight with Edgar and Faber a good fight to make right now, and how do you see it going? You could do it, uh, except that um, there would have to be a weight class change. I don't know if that would be the biggest thing that they would want to do either way with those guys, although it wouldn't shock me, given how desperate things might be at the upper end of bantamweight. And how do I see it going? I would favor Edgar pretty substantially at this point. All right, let's keep going bellator you often refer to bellator as a very distant second with coker behind the wheel and what seems to be a solid model for the future will that distance between the ufc and bellator be closer over the next five years it really depends man it really depends if they can get the kind of ratings that they need to make i mean they got to make money with bellator they got to make money with Bellator. They really do. There was an article by David Carr of the uh, New York Times. Now, listen, Viacom is a huge company that has unbelievable amounts of success. Um, You know, they do a lot of great things. But they were talking about, like, five guys who run media companies who might be in the hot seat in 2015. Philippe Dumont of Viacom was one of them. And they didn't say he was doing a bad job by any stretch, but that... um, But that Viacom was dealing with a little bit of issues. Half of their their revenue or half of their profit, I'm not sure, I have to go back and read the article, but Nickelodeon is a strong driver of money for them, be it revenue or profit. And uh, it's having some issues in terms of sustaining the kinds of ratings and critical acclaim that it once was. Comedy Central is going to have to be retooled. Some of the movie deals that they wanted um, or, you know, some of the success in the box office that they wanted from from their movie ventures didn't quite pan out. You know, you really need a big blockbuster movie to make money these days. And so the question is, how is Viacom going to respond in 2015? And um, you know, Bellator in, in the greater scheme of what Viacom does is probably the lower end of priorities. But you know, they they got some work to do. Viacom stock, I think, had dropped several dollars. Um, I'm going to pull that up here. That's now that I have your attention Uh, media here we go because this is uh, hot seat here we go let me read you the one for uh, for Viacom it's short, really short all right as head of Viacom, Mr. Dumont makes serious coin. 37.2 million in salary, stock and options last year, which is swell for him with the big money comes to significant expectations. Viacom's one-storied collection of channels now looks more like stuff you'd find in the bargain bin. Well, that's that's a little bit uh, dramatized, but okay. Ratings for its networks, including MTV, Comedy Central, and Nickelodeon, dropped 15%. In the quarter that ended in September, while Mr. Dumont rightly points out that Nielsen data failed to capture viewing on other platforms, there is no denying the broader trend. Nickelodeon, which produces about half the company's profits, there you go, has been in a pronounced slide, and Comedy Central will have to reboot part of its nightly programming now that Stephen Colbert is headed to CBS. I'm not the only skeptic. Disney stock is up almost 25% on the year, while Viacom's dropped 11.75%. Sumner Redstone, the chairman of the company and controlling shareholder, is 91 years old and no clear successor is in place. So it's hard to know exactly what the pressure will come from. But by any objective standard, Mr. Dumont uh, is up against some brutal realities in an increasingly Darwinian cable world. So listen, Viacom needs Bellator to make some money. How much they're committed for the long term I have no idea you know I, I doubt it's just one more year it's probably several more years but to answer your questions the five-year thing to me is sort of irrelevant if they don't if they're around in five years yes I expect the gap to be narrowed however much you know probably still less than what they had against UFC uh with strike force at their peak but um, you really 2015 you really want to see what kind of ratings they deliver what kind of live gate they draw what kind of money they spend to the extent you can find what that. I really want to, I, 2015 for Bellator is about examining the, the balance sheet. It really, really is. Uh, again, I don't think 2015 hangs in the balance. Like, oh, we didn't make money this year, well, we're done. I'm not saying that, but I know that there's got to be a renewed focus on certainly investing to make money, but what kind of returns are you actually getting on your product? I think that's going to be something to really watch in 2015 over there. How do you see the following fights going down? All right. Seaver. I see McGregor just blasting him out on the feet, stopping any sort of desperate takedown, and then finishing him on top with, with strikes. Hall versus Philippou. Um. That's tougher because it's who's going to last longer? I think Philippou might be able to box him out, to be honest. Eh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know about that one. i have to think more about it. evans Um, Evans is probably a little too fast for Tishera. might be able to get in and out and... If not going to take down, certainly mix it up enough to keep the share of guessing, and while avoiding damage, Barboza Michael Johnson. I like Barboza probably to win, but Michael Johnson's actually got good hand speed and good countering combos. That's one to watch, and then Pettis Dos Anjos. If confirmed, I, I like Dos Anjos a lot, but he's going to get he's going to have a hard time with Pettis. Have I ever been knocked unconscious? Uh, yes. Uh, everything went white for me. I got hit on the chin, everything went white. And I remember just doing, I remember. here's what I remember, it's just this. <sighs> like there's a moment where I knew I was falling, and I was like, oh my god, I'm falling. I remember telling myself that. And then everything went white. And then I woke up, I don't know, maybe 20, 15 seconds later on the ground, something like that. Um, it didn't hurt. Did I have a headache afterwards? Um, I don't remember having a headache. It wasn't painful at all i i didn't feel any pain which fighters would you be okay with not fighting anymore you're asking me personally uh g s p yes silva yes dos santos yes Mark Hunt, sure uh like in other words what i the question you're asking is would i be okay with retiring meaning who who as they continue to compete is risking something that they don't need to. Michael Bisping, he's at the very end of that. I I would allow a few more fights if I was like manager of people's lives, but not not much, man, not much. Roy Nelson, uh, similar circumstance. Nate Diaz I think has a lot more to offer, same with Nick. Ross Pearson probably too. Josh Thompson has had a lot of injuries. I'd be okay with him retiring. And Rashad Evans I think is closer to the end as well. Let's do like one or two more of these and let's get out of here. Luke, Fabio Maldonado is ranked number 13 in the light heavyweight division. What is happening? Do I really need to tell you? What is the big difference in Habib, the Eagle, and Ben Askren's fighting styles? Habib's Sambo style and Askren's wrestling both to the same to the opponent's control, basically, which is why Habib's style is more accepted than Askren's as shun. It's a lot different, actually. Askren takes a lot of reverse angles on... on uh, on in in transition and in scrambles habib has a lot of different kinds of takedowns he has a lot of throws that he uses he has he pushes a harder pace askrin's pace is a little more languid Um, overall i would say that habib's style is much more physical like you go watch a lot of funk rolls like they'll roll the different way into positions And it's almost like watching someone tie their shoes in a mirror. I mean, they're still getting it done, but it looks a little bit weird. That's kind of what the funk style is. Habib's is much more straightforward, in-your-face. You know, he'll Granby roll here and there in a scramble, too. But generally speaking, he's got a much more aggressive, on-top-of-you-punishing-you kind of style. He and uh, Ben Askren both allow for a certain measure of laying off the uh, gas... To allow guys to spin into problems for themselves, that's true. But I would say Habib, while he has a really well-rounded style, has a much more conventional style than Ben Askren. They both like to work in scrambles a lot, but um, they have a completely different approach to them. Uh, And then last true-false, and we'll go. Hector Lombard has an easy matchup this week. Mostly true, but Josh Berkman's crafty. Uh, With a win, Kyoji Horiguchi will become a top flyweight. Probably. Nate Marquardt is a top ten middleweight fighter. False. Don Cerrone versus Miles Jury will have to have one more fight to win for the fu- for the belt. Uh, agreed. True. John Jones versus Daniel is more exciting than UFC 168 main event. Uh, for me, it is. John Jones versus Daniel will pass three rounds. I say true. All right. So we have to get out of here. But before we go, let me just say the following. This is the last chat of the year, which has been one of the most professionally rewarding careers of my life. So I have nothing to say to you all except thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It has been such a treat to be able to get up here every Wednesday or sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Thursday, uh, and talk to you all about the sport that we both are invested in. So I I can't say thank you enough. Thank you for every time you've clicked on a link and watched on YouTube or shared it or listened on Stitcher or iTunes or any of those other things. Thank you for asking more of me. I had someone email me being like, we got to up the production level. My New Year's resolution with this chat, this chat will, you know, in many ways be the same as it always is, but will look very different by this time next year in 2015. That is a promise to you. That New Year's resolution is you are going to see. I'm already working on a bunch of stuff. So, it's gonna, you know, ask for a little bit of time, but it's coming, you guys. So, I really, really appreciate the support, and it's been a blast Um, I somehow got nominated for Journalist of the Year, which I don't understand, but I am nevertheless appreciative of, and it's because of folks like you. So, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Please be safe tonight. Don't drink and drive. The cab drivers are going to be out. Get drunk at someone's house and sleep on their couch and wake up and have an awesome 2015. Do not get behind the wheel of a car. Um, With that said, guys, what a year. And Saturday is the best that Mixed Martial Arts has to offer, which is no better way imaginable to ring in 2015 than to start off on the right foot like that. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of all you guys. Um, Lots of coverage coming tonight, tomorrow, Friday, and, of course, Saturday Mm -hmm. night. And until next time, stay frosty.